Welcome. Greetings to one and to all. <clears throat> for those that don't know me, I'm Daniel Vanderklok. I've been here for a long time. I am blessed and my amazing wife is here with me tonight, sitting up here. Um, Josh came to me earlier this week and he's like, hey, my voice seems to be on vacation without me. Could you uh, possibly cover or be plan B if it doesn't return soon? And I said, I would love to. And I was I had a kind of a message that was mulling over in my, in my head already. And as I was pondering this, I came across this thought. Uh, sometimes when I read the Bible, it makes sense. Like there's some things the Bible says that you're like, you know what? Like I could just do this just because it makes sense, even if this wasn't in the Bible. You, you see a verse like uh, a fool's lips walk into a fight. And you're like, I've seen that. I have seen people open their mouth and say stupid things and it start all sorts of strife and fights. And, and I understand this with or without the Bible. Um, Proverbs says, uh, the prudent see danger coming and take cover, but the simple go on and suffer for it. I'm like, seen that one in action. I've done that one on both sides, actually. I have not seen things coming when I should have and suffered for it. And I've seen things coming and taken, taken caution. But sometimes... The Bible says weird things. Sometimes I look at it and I'm like, mm, are you sure? Like you just, you want to question it. It just doesn't make sense. It just seems, seems like it might work sometime for somebody, but not for me, not right now, not in my circumstances. And, and I know the Bible says that God's ways are higher than mine, that he's smarter than me. But have you ever looked at a verse and just thought that was weird? Anyone else? Anyone ever thought, like, that's crazy, that might work for somebody else, but not for— Okay, that, I had that thought. I've had that thought. And as I begin to, to realize something, I discovered the more that we think we know, the more likely we are to argue his instructions. When you know that you're clueless, it's really easy to get instructions. Um, I got a shed— Couple, oh, a month or two ago, my last one got picked up by the wind and blown away, which was bad. And so I ordered a new shed, and they delivered it in like six ginormous boxes. It was like 1,500 pounds. Um, and I get this thing, and I go to like open it up. I'm like, I, I'm a fella, but I'm going to get directions. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. There was 124 pages of directions. I'm like, oh my word. And I do not want to get to the end of this and then go, oops, what is this for? Like, I'm like, I am starting with the directions. I know that I don't know what I'm doing. But when we think we know what we're doing, when we think that we know best, that's when we're actually most likely to do the stupidest thing. Um, I remember like, and, and I'm a dad, I've got four kids. And you watch when they're really little, obeying is, is still work because they just don't know that they need to obey. But they don't argue with you a whole lot yet on the logic of your statements. That comes more and more as they grow. The more that they think they know, the more that they want to reason their way out of and around things. And I, I remember my son, I think it was the first time I ever yelled at my son. My, my son, uh, my other son broke something glass in the kitchen all over the floor. And my my oldest son was wanting to show my wife something. And so he comes running towards my wife. And I'm like, stop, 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 don't move. And he was like terrified. Like, why would dad yell at me? Going to mom is a good thing. 
Like going to mom is what you do. Mom is safe. Why would you yell at me? And he didn't want to listen because he knew that mom was safe. And when we think that we know, a lot of times we reason our way around instructions. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that might be true for, for someone. But I just, you just don't know my story. The Bible says this. In Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There are some days that's really, really easy. There's some other days where you look and you go, that verse was written for somebody else. Are you sure that always is supposed to be there? Count it all joy, brothers, James 1, 2. When you meet trials of various kinds, you're like, what idiot wrote that? Like, what is a trial? Who counts that as joy? 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And you read that and you're like, you don't know my circumstances. Like that's, and, and it can be very easy to look at this and to be like, yeah, that's, that's great for, for somebody else. And I have to pause here in a moment when we're looking at this verse because there's a little word that a lot of people confuse. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. It does not say for all circumstances. Those, that, those two little words are worlds apart. The Bible says that we have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the Bible tells us to resist him. It says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So these works we're supposed to resist, not be thankful for. But even in the midst of an attack, it says to give thanks in all circumstances. And I look at this and I go, but, but, but that seems crazy. That doesn't seem to make sense because so much of our world is broken and so hurting. And we did a survey of students oh, two or three years ago. We said, what are you guys dealing with? And we gave them just an open sheet where they could say anything. And there was a whole bunch of stuff. The number one answer was depression and anxiety. And it, it surprised me a little bit that that was number one. But what surprised me is it wasn't like depression, anxiety, family issues, friends, this it was like depression and anxiety, family issues, school, and so on. Like there was just no comparison. It just blew everything else away. Like I thought that, that depression was an issue for people in places that have it really, really bad. You know, like third world countries where, you know, they got to walk a couple miles to find water. Like these guys have got to be depressed. But I read a study. It said it was the first cross-national survey of its kind. Nearly 90,000 people in 18 countries were screened for major depressive episodes using a standardized set of questions. Researchers found people living in wealthier nations are more likely to have experienced depressive episodes than those in low- and middle-income countries. And it goes on. It says, in fact, the two most depressed countries that they discovered were France and the U.S. And I thought about this because at first I'm like, that's crazy. And then I thought about the fact that we have a two, I think it's almost $200 billion industry that tries to make you unhappy. The advertising industry's whole goal is to make you unhappy with what you have so you'll buy what they're selling. And so they're, they're working trying to make you 
miserable. It's kind of a sad job when you think about it. But um, as I began to look at this, I discovered that depression is not a byproduct of my circumstances. That I have, you can see people who have everything that you think would make somebody happy. You can go, and in fact, last week for a different message, I was looking up depressed celebrities and discovered this plethora of lists. It's like, look at all these famous people. And there's, they're bringing in money by the millions. They're spending it on all sorts of crazy, fun stuff, crazy stuff. And they're miserable. I met one of the happiest people I have ever encountered at the hospital. I went to make a hospital, and it wasn't because he was on drugs. Um, and uh, but I think he, he may have been on, on something. They just amputated his leg just before um, I was coming to visit him after the amputation. And I walk in, and I'm like, hi, I'm Pastor Daniel. And you're looking, I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, check this out. And he lifts up his leg, and he's wiggling this little nub. And it's just like going crazy. I'm like, what is going on? Do you not know they just cut it off? Like, what do they have you on? And he's like, no, no, it's not the drugs. And he just began to share with me how grateful he was. He began to share his story. And he began to, to change my perspective as what so many of us would call this depressing episode of events as he'd gone from, from broke, from nothing, to getting a job, working his way up, and then stopping by a job site. And like, oh, can you cut? Because he cut these ginormous steel beams that like hold up highways. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that one real quick. And so he's and as quick as you can cut one of those. And so he was working on something, and a piece of the melting steel had fallen on his foot. And he wasn't wearing his steel-soled shoes because he wasn't supposed to be cutting that day. And it had burned his foot. And a chain of unfortunate events led to an amputated leg. But to me, this was like shocking and horrible. And he's sitting here, and he's like, oh, man, but you see what I've been through and what God's already done, and I'm going to get back up. And, and like, what do you, you know, like, do you, can you go back to that job? No, but I'll find another. And it was just this crazy, complete difference that you could see as I talked to this guy and discovering that you can find happy people in the hospital and you can find depressed people with millions. But it's not just a matter of going, do you want to be happy or do you want to be depressed? I can't say something for everybody because there are always people who are weird, um, but most people don't want to be depressed. In fact, they are spending money by the billions not to be depressed. They spend between 45 and 55 billion dollars in the U.S. trying to deal with depression. I was, I was looking at this and I looked up uh, some medicine for depression. One of the, the medicines on its, on its list of side effects five times mentioned death. Twice that had to do with the elderly, and then the next one's like, yeah, it might cause a stroke, which will lead to death. It might cause this, which could lead to death. It might cause it, and that might lead to death. And then I'm looking at a, another one of these, and let me just read you a few of these. It goes, um, you could take this, and it might help you deal with your depression, but then you might have dizziness, fainting, fast-pounding heartbeats, agitation, hostility, confusion, thoughts about hurting yourself, seizures, fevers, chills, body aches, flu symptoms, sores in your mouth, and throw high blood sugar in... Um, very stiff muscles, high fevers, sweating, confusion, 
fasting, uneven heartbeats, tremors, feeling like you might pass out, trouble swallowing, twitching your uncontrollable movements of your eyes, lips, tongues, face, arms, or legs, which might not go away even if you stop taking it. Drowsiness, uh, then less serious side effects are drowsiness, feeling restless, nausea, diarrhea, stomach pain, loss of appetite, blurred vision, weight gain, and a few others. And then at the end of this list, it says, this is not a complete list of side effects. Others may occur. Call your doctor for medical advice about side effects. Okay. If you are willing to take this, you are seriously not okay with whatever else is going on. Like, you don't take this because you're bored. They, they obviously don't want to be depressed. So it's not simply a matter of going, I, don't, I just chose to be depressed today because it sounded like fun. Or because I'm sick of having fun. Like, that's not. Like, they're, they're working really hard going, I don't want to be depressed. And as I, as I looked at this, I discovered that it's a, there's a lot of people who've been attacked by depression and, or, and or anxiety. That all of us in here, statistically, you know somebody or a lot of somebodies who have or are dealing with depression, whether they've said it or not. But whether you know somebody who's admitted it, I promise you that all of you have gone through or will go through tough times. Times that are pleasant, and you'll go through times that are not, and you have a choice to make. God gave us instructions that are contrary to nature. Instructions that can be very tempting to overlook and go, yeah, I'll give thanks when things are good, but right now, I have a right to complain because this stinks. In fact, I think complaining has become an official U.S. pastime. And then we bumped it from a pastime to a competition. I don't know if you've ever heard this, where someone walks in and they're like, man, so tired. Went to bed so late last night. And somebody else, yeah, what time do you go to bed? And they're like, 12. And they're like, I didn't go to bed till 2. Oh, I'm tired. And they're like, what? Like, it's just like competition of who's got it worse. I, I, I talked to somebody who literally didn't want to have kids because they talked to so many parents who used their complaining as a badge of honor. They'd talk, hear somebody complaining and they're like, you're tired? Just wait till you have kids. Just wait till you do what I've done. And they just sit here and would just like up there, well, yeah, you were up for this, but I got up three times with the baby and you did this. And they just like had this like competition to complain. But the Bible says do everything without grumbling or complaining. And the Bible says to rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. It says, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. This is so different than complaining. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Again, in uh, two different verses there. 19 times we're told to give thanks to the Lord. 34 times we're told to give thanks, referring to God. 67 times we're told to praise the Lord. In Colossians, it says, Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's this amazing thing that we don't always understand, but I want to look at this wonderful, powerful gift of gratitude, of thanksgiving. Because we often take it for granted, but God gave us instructions because he knew things that we didn't know. 
I told my son not to run across the kitchen, even though I love him hugging my wife. I love that he wants to run to my wife. I knew that there was broken, sharp things all across the floor. God knew that you were designed to be grateful. He knew. Scientists are figuring things out now. They say that your brain, that, that how you feel is not a product of your circumstances, but it is caused by your brain. And there's this strange correlation here because you can actually make choices, um, but your brain releases serotonin and dopamine, which are the, what they would call the feel-good hormones or feel-good chemicals inside your brain. When you go through something traumatic, grief, loss, failure, different things, it can drain those. And things should come back at a normal rate. If they don't, they call it depression. Gratitude can, is literally an antidepressant. Scientists, they discovered that when you are grateful, when you give thanks, that your brain actually begins to release serotonin and dopamine in your brain, which is the same thing that a lot of these drugs are trying to get your body to do. But God wired you so that when you give thanks, that would happen. Which is really, really crazy. And they, they said that all gratitude isn't the same. Just saying, well, somebody's got it worse than me, said that, that didn't do a whole lot for you. But they actually like watched and hooked people up and watched what activated in their brain and discovered that when you speak out your gratefulness, it has the largest effect. Not just when you go, yeah, I'm, 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 not just when you ponder that you're grateful for something, but when you begin to speak it, it actually begins to have the greatest effect in your brain that it begins to release into your body and begins to, to change how you feel, not because everything all of a sudden went your way, but because you chose a perspective. Setting our mind on God and choosing gratitude actually is a weapon. Um, I, I entitled my message, Think, or, uh, Gratefulness, Secret Weapon. Because this is, this is literally a weapon in our arsenal. Because the Bible tells us that we have an enemy, the devil, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe that there is someone here or listening who Satan has been trying to rob your joy. He's been trying to rob your life. He's told you that it's hopeless. He's told you that you'll never change, that it'll never change. The devil said this feeling, that this trauma will continue to define your whole life. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. You can be free. The Bible says that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I begin to look and go, okay, so... so so the devil comes and he tries to rob people. He tries to rob their life. And I've talked to so many people who've been literally like crippled by anxiety and depression where they have trouble to get out of bed and God goes, no, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. Um, but it's not, a, it's not contingent upon wonderful circumstances. Paul, a lot of these, these, these give thanks in all circumstances, are written by a guy named Paul. Paul has been through the ringer. Paul is the one who, let me pull up a list here, as he was 
Five times he received 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned with rocks, not weeds. Um, three times he was shipwrecked. Spent a night and a day in the open sea. Perils of waters, robbers by his countrymen. By, he, he's had all these people up against him. He's experienced sleeplessness, thirst, hunger, cold, nakedness. Beside all the other things, he's the guy who says, give thanks in all circumstances. He's the one who says that he's learned the secret to be content no matter what's happening. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He says, this verse that's so often misused, he's saying, I know how to give thanks no matter what is going on around me. And it's this, this crazy, powerful thing. In fact, one day, one of these times that he gets arrested, beat, he's been doing the right things. This is in Acts chapter 16. They decide to lock him up, to beat his feet with sticks, and then to lock him in stocks in the inner cell. So this is like find the worst cell in their dungeon, lock him up after beating him. And this is with most of us would find our American right to complain, our freedom of speech that gets us in trouble. And we, they, we, would, we would cite all of the misery of this thing. But he and Silas, in the middle of this traumatic event, begin to give thanks to God. And they begin to sing. And it says that all the other prisoners listened. And I don't know if it, they listened because they were like, how hard did they hit you? Or if they listened because they were really good singers, or if they listened because they were stuck in a prison cell and couldn't not listen. Like, they kind of trapped audience. But, but they listened. And then God showed up. God showed up, and there was an earthquake, and the prison was opened. See, when we give thanks, there's multiple sides to what happened. There's a spiritual side where when we give thanks and we place our trust in God, God moves. They gave thanks to God, and they saw amazing things as God met them there and set them free. You can go back into the Old Testament, and Jehoshaphat, the king, was, had an army or armies coming at him. Several kings had, had teamed up, and he's like, oh no, like we are in serious trouble. We are outnumbered. There's no way that on our own that we can handle the enemy that's coming. And they, <clears throat> they pray, and they seek God, <clears throat> and they feel like they have a word from God that God is going to fight for them. And they go, okay. And they go, we got this grand, we have, the, we have a battle plan. He talks to all the people, he's like, here's our plan. Get the army. Get the soldiers and get them ready. Then go get the choir. Put the choir in front of the soldiers. How would you like to be in that choir? Like we're heading to battle and all the soldiers are behind the choir. You'd think you'd have the guys with the shield in the front, but no, you got the guy with the trumpet in the front. You're like, okay, yep, you go out there and you're going to sing to God and you're going to give him thanks when we go out to a battle where we're outnumbered brilliant battle plan, says the trumpeter. And anyway, so, so, so they go, but it says that when they, uh, this is 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. It says, he appointed those who would sing and he, that they should praise, put them in the front. Verse 22, when they begin to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. And when they begin to praise, when they begin to give thanks, God begin to defeat their enemy. 
And on the, so you have this spiritual side of when we begin to give thanks, we begin to praise that God moves. And then on this natural side, we have when we begin to give thanks, it literally begins to do things inside of our brain. It literally begins to release things inside of our brain. Not only does it begin to release serotonin, dopamine in your brain, but there's, what's the guy's name? There's, there's a law, uh, his na- name starts with an H but I have to find it in my notes. Anyways, the, guy, the, the theory is that they say that neurons that fire together wire together. When you choose gratefulness, the neurons in your brain that begin to fire begin to link up. In your brain, we all have what they, they call a confirmation bias. We like to be right. In that in the way that, you're, that, that we think, we look for things that validate our present way of thinking. Which means, if you're always looking for what you can complain for, your brain gets programmed to find what you can complain about. And no matter what happens, you will find something to complain about. I knew somebody who was helping... Uh, 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 there was an elderly lady who, was, who they were helping manage her finances, and some of the investments went bad. So you know what she did? She complained because they lost money. Next time they went and got together, the investments were doing really good, and they made money. So you know what she did? She complained she's going to have to pay taxes. And it, it really didn't matter what happened because she had had a confirmation bias that she was going to look for something to complain about. When we choose gratitude and we begin to choose to cause these to fire together, to wire together, that our neurons begin to go, I'm going to look for what I can be grateful for, then even in the midst of tragedy, you can still find things where you can be grateful. And when you begin to find those, your brain begins to go, that's what I'm going to do. And it begins to change what you see. Because you don't see the world as the world is. You see the world as you are. You don't look, you don't see the world with your eyes. You look through your eyes, but you see with your heart. And when we choose an attitude of gratitude, we begin to position our heart to line up that God is the answer and to begin to go, there is, there is hope because I serve a good God. And we begin to change what we see. You can have a lineup of people all look out at the same scene and see something totally different. In a couple months, it's going to... We already had snow. Welcome to Michigan. If you don't like it, sorry, you live here. Um, if you're visiting, welcome. But all of this snow, when it begins to snow, we are going to have people lined up at windows seeing completely different things. Some of you guys are going, hey, I'm going to make money. I'm going to go move some snow. Others are sitting here going, curse it. I'm going to pay somebody to move, remove my snow. Somebody else, is, your kids are out here going, snow day, snow day. And you're sitting here going, no, not another snow day. What am I going to do? And like, there's all of these different thoughts that are all coming because people are looking at the same scene, but they're not seeing it with their eyes. They're seeing it with their heart. They're just seeing it through them. And when we choose an attitude of gratitude, we begin to shape the lens that our heart looks through. And it changes how we see things. I, I, I read a, a piece uh, by Andy Andrews, and, and he's using an illustration of this, this guy who's learning a lesson from somebody who was hiding in an attic, who was a Jew, and the communists were rounding everybody up, and when the Nazis were putting them in, in concentration camps. And the guy in the book, he says, says to this, he's talking with this girl, and she says, 
Yeah, an ungrateful person might see this place where we're hiding as too small for eight people. A diet that's limited in portions that are too meager. Or only three dresses for two girls to share. But gratefulness is also a choice. I see an addict that hides eight people while others are being herded into railway cars. I see food that is generously provided by Meep, whose family uses their ration cards for us. I see an extra dress for my sister and I. Um, while many are surely others who have nothing, I choose to be grateful. I choose not to complain. See, when we choose an attitude of gratitude, it becomes a weapon. It says that it, it literally begins to fight back against the depression that the devil tries to put people under. It begins to, to lighten things. It begins to change, literally, what we see. And it, it's this, this powerful thing where he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Sometimes it can be like going, are you sure? Do you really know what I'm going through? But God says, trust me. My instructions are good. I love you. We're heading into a time of year where it's really confusing. We're about to have a holiday called Thanksgiving to give thanks, where everyone goes to give thanks while they sit down to look at and make their list for the next day of what they're going to go buy to make them happy. Um, and, and it's just kind of like this, this, this funny, crazy mix-up as we go into the holidays of, of, of different things. But as we, we go into it all, I want to challenge you. Because we get to give thanks. We get to take God at his word and give thanks no matter what is going on around you. You have a God that loves you. You have a God that loves you so much he was willing to take your place and pay the price that you could never pay for you. You have forgiveness that he offers. If you've never received his forgiveness, I want to give you an opportunity to receive that tonight. And then the band's going to reappear from somewhere. And then we're going to sing a song because we have an opportunity to be grateful. We have an opportunity, no matter what you're going through, to declare that our God is good and that he loves us. But first... If you say, hey, today I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need to receive his forgiveness. I want to give you that opportunity first. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If you're here, you say, that today that's me. Then get ready. When I say three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, you can know that your sins are forgiven. Two, that you're right with God and on your way to heaven. Three, raise up your hand nice and high. That's me. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand and your hand. Any others? Awesome. And yours? We're going to say a really simple prayer. The Bible says whoever calls on his name will be saved. So you can put your hands down. Go ahead and join me as we call on his name. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. I choose to follow you. You are my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.